Last night as I was getting ready to go to bed, I was actually watching the football game, as many of us were, and I had a moment where I was thinking I might need to totally switch the sermon topic as I started to think maybe we might have to have this on Psalm 22, which if you recall begins, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> Thankfully, things ended the way they did, so I don't have, didn't have to rewrite stuff at six this morning. But it was about 10 or 12 years ago when all of our friends were going through that time when it seemed as though everyone was getting married the same year. How many of you remember those points in your life? It was nice, though, that as the pastor friend, I was constantly getting phone calls from these folks as soon as they had set a date, asking if I'd be willing to officiate their wedding. I absolutely love getting those phone calls. I love it when it's a friend. I love it when it's a member of our congregation. It's even a lot of fun when someone I don't know who just happens to have attended a wedding I officiated and thought I did a halfway decent job calls and asks if I'd officiate their wedding. But there's one of those calls that is always going to stick out in my mind more than any others. My wife Lauren and I had recently bought our first house. and. In preparation for the plan we had to get a dog for Christmas, I'd gone to Home Depot to buy all of the materials I needed to finish the privacy fence that was in our backyard. And as I'm loading up a lumber cart full of, it was probably about, felt like 80 bags of concrete, my phone rang. It was my friend Brendan, and he was telling me about the fact that he and his fiance wanted me to officiate their wedding in August, and it was going to be an outdoor wedding, which when you hear August, an outdoor wedding, you immediately start to groan a little bit. But then he said, oh, and the wedding's going to be outside of Detroit. So I thought Detroit, Michigan, August would be pretty nice. We chatted for a little longer, and as the phone call was wrapping up, my friend suddenly ended it by saying, I love you, Scott. I muttered back quietly, I love you too. And he started with a, no, Scott, I love you. Now, it was one of those moments where I knew I had two choices. I could pretend that all of the metal in Home Depot had depleted the signal, and, or that my battery had died, or I could do the right thing. And I could muster up my courage and reply as I needed to. So I want you to picture this. Standing in the lumber section of Home Depot, got a cart full of all of those building materials. And it just, I knew what I had to do, so I summoned up all of my courage, got the preacher voice going, and said, I love you too, Brendan. And it was deathly quiet in Home Depot. <laughs> there were no intercom announcements coming on, there were no squeaking cartwheels. I'm pretty sure everyone in Home Depot heard me say, I love you too, Brendan. It was a moment that felt both very freeing, while I also thought I might be losing my man card at any moment, but it also helped me to understand a great change that I needed to have in what does it mean to love someone. Now, the best definition we can ever find of love comes in John's Gospel in the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. It sounds simple, doesn't it? Jesus commands that we love each other as he has loved us. Yet what it means is something that is much more difficult for us to truly grasp. You see, my mental image of hearing these words is simple in its complexity. We're supposed to do what Jesus did. And he taught us what it means to see the kingdom of God through his parables. He healed the sick, offered comfort to the outcast, drove out impure spirits, and raised the dead to life. Yet those are only actions that showed us a little bit of his love where the true way he showed it was when he followed the will of our Heavenly Father and undertook the journey that ended for three days on a cross at Golgotha. But the challenge for us is that we are supposed to do likewise. We are supposed to be willing to lay down our lives for one another. Now that idea and those words that have been used at least since the first, um, the first crusade to spur people on to fight for their country and their faith. And in those moments, I believe that the meaning of Jesus' words have truly been lost. Now, I don't mean that we should not be willing to lay down our lives to defend our freedoms, to ensure that tyranny does not overtake the world. But when we try to reduce Jesus' words to simply patriotic zeal, we lose so much of its meaning. Now, around the same time I was having this conversation in Home Depot, I was preparing to marry another set of friends, it was that time of, of our lives. Now, this particular couple had actually chosen this passage to be read at their wedding. So I was preparing a little message on this passage for them, and something must have stuck. Now, this couple, very close friends, I normally would keep in touch with the husband at least every other week, and we reached a point in time about six years ago where he seemed to have dropped off the face of the earth. After a few weeks had passed, I got an email from him. It was an email where he was detailing that he had had the realization that his life had hit a spot where he had to make a choice between addiction and getting help. He chose to put aside his desire to be in control and to let alcohol rule his life, and he laid down his life for his family and his friends that day. And he has done so each and every day for the past six years where he has laid down his life and made a sacrifice for his family and friends. Now, that decision that we need to make to lay down our lives isn't an easy one. It means that we have to be willing to change. And as the old saying goes, only a baby enjoys change. And if you've ever tried to change a wet baby, you know that they don't really enjoy it either. But it's that what we, when we have to make change, we also have to admit something. We have to admit that our lives aren't the way we want them to be. 
And the hardest part of that is that we often try to show the world that our lives are one way, while they're very different on the inside. About two months ago, I was teaching a class one night for Honor Academy, which y'all saw that video from Rich about a little while ago. I was teaching a course that was not one I was initially supposed to be teaching, but the normal teacher that evening was double booked to officiate a wedding. And during the class, we were talking about what it's like to share your faith with other people. Now, to be very honest, that's not my favorite topic. I love doing things like delving deep into scripture, tackling theological concepts that a lot of people will end up going, my head hurts after this. But talking about evangelism is just not my cup of tea. But during the discussion, we started talking about what are the challenges that people run into with, who are outside the church with those of us who call ourselves Christian. Now, about three or four minutes of talk, talking occurred in the class, and the overwhelming answer was that Christians are hypocrites. I don't know if I laughed out loud or not when that decision was made, but I know I was laughing on the inside, and it was one of those laughters that was the laughter because I really wanted to start crying with the truth of that statement. And, to try, and because I, too, can be a hypocrite. I try to be the best person that I can be. I seek to be someone who is worthy to have been adopted into the family of Christ. I seek to be someone who is worthy to be a pastor, to be your pastor. And I fail each and every day. But here's the thing about that failure. I confess my sins to God each and every day. When I wrong someone, I admit it to them, and I try to make amends each and every day. And I strive to show that reality to the world, the fact that my, I'm not the person I'd always like to be. I don't want to have my life appear to be something that it's not. Jesus actually called out the religious leaders of his day for this type of action, and I think these are words that we might need to hear today as well. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, the culture in which we live tends to like for us to show a reality to the world of what we think is the world, the world wants to see. But when we do this, we miss something. We miss that in so doing, we perpetuate the belief that there are people in the world who actually have their lives all together. Now, if you haven't realized this, it's not that much of a secret, but none of us have our lives all the way put together the way we'd like them to be. Each of us has plenty of baggage that we carry around, and while my baggage is going to look different than yours, we all have it. But I want to show you a picture of what the world often sees and what actually makes it possible. On the right of the, here is a photo from Instagram of a young woman who was trying to look as though she were having fun with some cherries at lunch. And on the left is the multiple camera people and lighting folks who go, went into making it look like she was just having fun taking a picture at lunch. When we allow our outward representation of our lives to be only this whitewashed tomb, 
without ever showing the emptiness, the garbage that exists within us all, we make it seem as though that Instagram picture is reality. So with that, I'm going to make a little confession. The night before I was teaching that class at Honor Academy, my wife and I had a black tie event for her work, and I was supposed to give the invocation to that event. We were dressed to the nines. My wife had her hair and makeup done absolutely beautifully. She was wearing a dress that takes my breath away. And I think I cleaned up okay in my tux. But as we were leaving the event much earlier than most of the folks who were attending, because this was a Saturday night, and I had to be here way earlier than most of y'all do on a Sunday morning. But as we were walking out, there was a platform near the exit and a camera that we rotated around. And so we decided to jump up on the platform and have our video made in a 360-degree mode. Would y'all like to see the video? Yeah. I'd forgotten about that kiss when I gave the <laughs> I'd forgotten about the kiss when I gave that to our communications department. I should have had that edited out. But like many of us would do with a video like that, I posted it on social media. But there was another side to that video. I was in the early stages of a sinus infection and I was beginning to lose my voice. I'd spent the better part of the day trying to help take care of our kids, and our daughter hadn't been feeling well. And as I was getting ready to get myself cleaned up, I'd received a text from a dear friend asking me to come down and be with he and his wife at his, at his dad's bedside as he, his dad had just passed away. And his dad was a dear friend of mine as well. All of this going on while knowing the stresses that were going to be happening the next day were in my mind. But I only showed the world the image of Lauren and I as a happy couple who looked as though we didn't have a care in the world at a beautiful party. And while we are a happy couple who were at a beautiful party, that wasn't the wholeness of where we were. And I wasn't doing as Jesus had commanded. I wasn't loving one another, loving everyone else as Jesus loves us. But I don't want to stand up here and simply say what we should not do because we all hear the do nots a lot more than we hear the here's what we should do. One of the easiest and hardest ways that we can show love as Jesus did, it's gonna sound a little bit cliched. We should pray for each other. We're a church. How often have we said, oh, I'll pray for you. But how often when we sit down to do so, do we actually do it? It's so hard sometimes to make our minds connect between what we want to do and what we say we will do and what we actually do. We all have reasons why we might say that we'll pray for someone while not doing it. We might not feel like we have the time. Some of you might not even be sure if prayer works. Many of us don't feel like we have the words that are right to express the needs of someone else to our Lord and Savior. Now, I could stand here and give you a reason why each one of those objections isn't, isn't true, but I just want to do something. I want to encourage you all to pray for one another. Because when we pray, 
something amazing happens. We have a transformation that occurs. It's not a transformation of our bodies. It's not one of our minds. It's one of our souls where, over time, we start to realize that our priorities shift. And they become ordered in a way that I try to keep in mind, and I have a post-it note reminder that points me to this. It simply says, God first, others second, me last. Now, that transformation helps us to begin to understand what it means when Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's the desire to put other people above ourselves in ways that are both large and small. Though I'd suggest we all start in the small ways. It's much easier to tackle those small ways. And we begin to train our hearts to understand that as much as our innate selves tend to think that we're truly the ones in charge, we're not. And that's another piece of the transformation that occurs when we hold other people in prayer. I firmly believe that one of the hallmarks of prayer is that we start to become ever more aware of God's will for our lives, and sometimes God's will for other people's lives. And this realization, this awareness, and reprioritization of our lives is grounded in the fact that we are not God. I'm going to say that again. We are not God. We can even see that fact in the words that Jesus shared with his disciples in our passage this morning. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. God desires to make us aware of his desires for our lives, of his will, of his inmost hopes and dreams for each and every one of us. And because our Lord chose to humble himself and take on human flesh, because he deigned to live and breathe as we do, and ultimately because Jesus Christ, fully human and fully God, went willingly to the cross to die that we might not have to suffer sin and death, the wages of sin and death, we can see his will for our lives. But there's a piece of that that's not found in John's gospel, but in John's first letter where, he sa- where the apostle John writes, we love because he first loved us. We love because God first loved us. I want those seven words to sit in our minds for a moment. We love because he first loved us. We are able to love God because he loved us, and we're able to love each other because God loves us. But there's a little bit of a challenge in those words, and it's a challenge that I sort of alluded to with that story from Home Depot. Most of us don't understand what it means to love. We often think of it in one or in just a few terms, but in the Bible, we have a different way of understanding it. And it's a way of understanding that it's lost because the New Testament was written in Greek, and we translate multiple words all as love. So I'm going to give you a little Greek lesson. And it's one that many of you might have heard over time if you spent a lot of time in the church. There are three main words that we all translate as love in the New Testament. One of those is eros. That's the, lo- the romantic love, the physical love that so often we think of. Then there is philos, which tends to be a love of friendship. That's the love my buddy was wanting, me to, wanting to express to me and for me to express back to him while I was standing having that uncomfortable conversation. But then there's the type of love that appears most often in the New Testament. It's the word agape. 
It's a word that is the one that Jesus uses throughout this passage. Now, I've read countless different descriptions and definitions of agape over the years, and I've always found them lacking a little bit in some way, shape, or form. So as a theological and linguistic geek, I've sought to define agape in my own way. Agape is the love that we are called to have for one another that is a reflection of the love that God has for us. That love is based not on anything that we have done or said, but it is a love that we should share since we are all created in God's holy image. It is to desire the best for someone else since they too are image bearers of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think about that for a moment. You bear the image of God. I bear the image of God. We all bear the image of God, and we should all desire good for each other because we bear the image of God. We should love one another for that reason and that reason alone. Now, in the opening days of the pandemic, I began to do something that I thought was going to be a, maybe a month or two experiment in attempting to keep connected with the congregation of the church. And I started to do something that was not comfortable for me. I began to write daily Facebook devotionals. I've mentioned social media a number of times, and I've got to tell you, I don't like it. I don't like social media. I mainly used it in the past as a way to know what was going on in the lives of the congregation. It's amazing how often us pastors will find out someone is sick from a social media post rather than just a normal phone call. But I've started to make the, this shift, and I've truly viewed that as an exercise in self-sacrificial love. But sometime in the first week of writing these devotionals, I felt this little tapping on my shoulder, and it was the Holy Spirit simply saying, you need to start ending these the same way. So I sat down and I started to type at my computer and suddenly I feel this smack in the back of my head because the Holy Spirit likes to smack me in the back of the head. And words started to flow through the keyboard. And I began to sign off all of these posts, all of these devotional thoughts with a simple phrase, I love you and I'm praying for you. Those words are true today. I love you, and I'm praying for you. I want us all to realize that we should love each other, and we should pray for each other. So I want to say it again. I love you, and I am praying for you. And I love you, and let us pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have loved us, that we might see and know what it means to love others. We thank you that you are with us each day. We thank you that you have called us to this table where we might together celebrate the meal that remembers your death and resurrection. We thank you that you are with us each day, each moment, in each breath that we take. We can feel your grace, and we ask that you will empower us all to go forth and to express love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.